Welcome to the Casey Catch-Up. This time we catch up with Matt Coast and we go through some really cool wavelength and I guess his nerdy, and I say that in the most respectful way, nerdy um, physics look at downwinding and how everything works, currents, wind strength, swells, uh, refraction. We also go into the challenges of learning on a SUP um, alternative ways to downwind like boogie foiling or prone foiling um, and the different types of equipment you need. Um, I do egg him on, try to get him on a wing foil, but he's not too keen on that, um, much to uh, my disappointment. Uh, we also go on different downwind runs and talk about what it means in different conditions. We go more into the downwind lines to take and the different energy that is out there and a few little tips on how to get going. Um, all in all, it's a really good chat. It's a longer one. We did get close to the two hour mark, so I definitely recommend watching this in a couple different chunks um, or a long drive would be perfect. Um, but yeah, Matt Coast, episode 12. It was a fun one. Uh, let's get into it. Welcome to the Casey Catch-Up. This time we've got Matt Coast. Um, Excited to have him on. He's uh, we've chatted a bit back and forth over the last probably month or so now, and uh, he's a character. So Matt, take it away. Tell us a little bit about how you got into foiling, and let's start with that. Okay. Hey everybody. Good afternoon. Uh, Matt here. I just want to send out a little disclaimer. I recognize I'm not big in the downwind community. I should not be for any reason. Um, so if you're wondering who is this guy, because you have a good point, but Mr. Casey invited me on and you'd be rude not to. So <laughs> to that, we celebrate Mr. Casey and a little bit of Australia. So here's mine. <laughs> Perfect. It's 9.30 in the morning here, so I'm drinking water, <laughs> but otherwise I'd be uh, drinking you. <laughs> are you even Australian, Mike? Okay, anyway, um, yeah, I'm 26. Southern California, um, like in the county of Ventura. And yeah, I've been surfing, bodyboarding for about 15 years now. Started off as a bodyboarder, um, did the whole drop knee thing, then shortboard surf, probably most of my surfing career, got into fishes towards the end. Hearing Kahi on that last podcast was like definitely what I felt. And I feel like most spoilers just want to feel like the energy like not being wasted in the wave a lot of boogie boarders too and you stay right in the pocket on the heavy waves anyway um the waves just are so bad around here most of the time i thought there's like this reef way far out one of the spots and i was like i'm gonna put a foil on a boogie board and i thought you know i'd still stick to surfing and only try this you know once drop 500 bucks forget about it and next thing i know i'm just so many thousands of dollars have been spent and uh, I, I don't even surf anymore. I have no interest in surfing. Um, yeah, I'm just so hooked. I saw most of the lift stuff like a year ago. They came out with some really good videos on downwinding, um, especially like the, the Voyager guys kind of endorsed it too, where they like did the prone downwinding. So that wasn't like intimidating. You know, I, I didn't have a sub background. So I was like, sweet, I can do this. And uh, that's that's basically how it started so i started surf flying and kind of got into downwinding didn't have anybody to go with and then just went more and more and now i'm pretty pretty comfortable in it and 
just can't get enough of it. Yeah, the runs are really good around here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it sounds like um, <laughs> the biggest fear can. It sounds like you're helping a bunch of the local crew as well, which I love. Like, that's one of the reasons I want to get you on is because you're like pushing down in foiling and not just prone. You, you've, you've taught yourself to sup. And also one thing that we definitely, we may as well tackle it now, the boogie foil downwind and why don't we start with like you've obviously booked you you know bodyboard growing up um you you I've, if you haven't seen his um, matt's instagram definitely go check it out um foil me harder right yeah and he's got a lot of boogie foiling <laughs> and i guess there's been a few questions from the crew which we'll get to in time but um tell us about like what you're trying to do with the boogie foil because it's looking at your instagrams you got some pretty cool clips up there. Like you, you, uh, it's not you. a big thing over here in Australia anyway, or, or in Hawaii from what I've seen, but what you're doing is cool. Yeah. I was pretty much just too scared to stand up on a foil. I thought it was too dangerous. I still think it's too dangerous. <laughs> I'm kind of of the mindset now where it's like, it's worth it. If you get hurt, like seriously, anybody who's learning and you really just are loving foiling, like don't, don't go outside of where you feel comfortable, but push yourself like, you're only young once, you only get one shot at foiling, like you don't want to waste it with any regrets. So that's that's really helped my foiling in the last little bit. Um, but basically, yeah, I wanted a boogie so I could stay lower. I without a doubt think you can do a harder turn because you can like yeah. really lean and stay tight. For sure. Um, I still think that, I think the airs could be insane. You know, going up to hit white water is like nothing. I hit an air, um, it's on my Instagram where I just completely loop out um and that one kind of scared me and i haven't booked foiled since because you'll see the foil going like mm. it's like 15 feet in the air like you can't see me on the back side of the wave but i completely went up completely against my will my feet just went up and just did like a backflip it was really scary since then i've just been doing straps and downwind but mm. uh that was good and then i was doing a prone like on a little four foot prone board on a downwind and it was a really windy day and I was able to get back up on foil. So like I knew, I knew it's possible to get back up on small boards, but that day was really windy. So I tried to do it with flippers. Um, just recently, I've really only tried it like three times maybe. I've never really paddled out into the wind line, done it proper. Um, so I would just stick them in the back of my wetsuit, the flippers <laughs> on that little four foot board I'm talking about. Yeah. And one time I did fall, I was out pretty far five minutes goes by and uh, a big enough wave like right timing and everything came in and you kind of just it's just like sup flowing you get that first one to push you and then you just go as hard as you can and I got up extremely easily um I've no you're, doubt you're, I could get up you're kicking and paddling kicking and paddling yeah it's a four foot board so it's kind of a little long for your arms to push down because you're going to get that lift I think yeah. if I had like a three six that was like super super thick um and like a little bit better bodyboard flippers i yeah you could get up in a lot especially with the big wing yeah so, yeah tons of potential i i don't know if i necessarily recommend it though because really if you're out in the middle of the ocean you fall like statistically speaking i think bodyboarders get chomped the most for good reason you know with the flippers yeah um the, like what it looks like and how much white water you make so i don't want to do it in deep water i just i think it's possible and yeah. I, might, I don't know we'll see we'll see what happens but it's kind of scary 
Yeah, no, I'm, I, I love it. Like the, <clears throat> the innovation and the creativity, that's like trying to get like different walks of surfers and foilers into the downwind stuff is, is what I'm all about. And like, obviously for me, coming from a SUP background, the, the SUP made a lot of sense. Um, since then I've played around with the wing because I know lots of people that know how to wing, but mm -hmm. they learn, like learning to wing is quite an easy skill, but then learning to SUP is probably a little bit of a harder skill. And then like yeah. what you're talking about with the, with the boogie, like the boogie foiling, like lots of bodyboarders are foiling now. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, if, if we can get them kicking onto mm -hmm. swells, getting up to their feet and downwinding, that's, so to me, it's actually like, we've spoken about it. Um, if that's something that's possible and like consistently mm -hmm. getting up, I think it's the best way to downwind because you've only got the weight of the flippers using a smaller ball. Yeah. And if you can get up on a small foil, then like, obviously with the SUP, you're on a bigger board, you've got to paddle. Yeah. On the wing, you've got a wing. And if you deflate it, even you've still got the weight of the deflated wing. Whereas mm -hmm. with the boogie foil, if it's just flippers, that's pretty, mm -hmm. you know, for me, like I would have a really hard time doing that because I've never, I've never really bodyboarded and you know before. You'd be, you'd be fine. You could do it. <laughs> I'm gonna try uh, that. I just, I just think of give it a crack. Please do. You'll, you'll, you'll get it because you can be so much more explosive. You know the paddle, mm -hmm. you can definitely get a lot. And like I guess I don't know how to paddle, but you kind of get that torque mm -hmm. on top of your muscles, so you do get some extra there. But just how quick your feet can go, and you have yeah. two of them, and you get your arms, and you can throw your weight forward. Um, as long as the wave has the right shape, you can get up easy. And I just, I really want to see like, you know, you see water polo, like people where they can tread water, like mm -hmm. pretty much their belly button. Like yeah. one of those, if somebody like that were to get flippers on, like, and a tiny board, they'd, they'd be unstoppable. They could get up in nothing. I'm so certain of it. And we see like so many crazy things on Instagram where you'd never would think would be possible. It's mm. like, it's going to happen. It's just, Who's going to make it happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's you, Matt. You, you've come up with it and, and I'm happy to give it a crack and see if we can get it, get the ball rolling. Um, but so, so my sister's actually a water polo player. She just missed out on the mm. cut for um, the Olympics. She was like the, the last person left home. Um, so she was bummed. But Oh my God. Yeah, um, I'll have to get her. She wants to learn to foil. She's got a bit of time off. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll have to get her out. Um, she could do it. I'm certain. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see because yeah. So you think a shorter board is going to be easier? So so tell us the ideal dimensions of a board and flippers and then I. <laughs> I really couldn't say. Like I said, I I think I've only tried to do it like three times. Mm. Um, I did two like really close to shore, and then another one where I, I fell, and that one I got up easy peasy. Mm. Um, but the board I'm using is four feet. I'll, yeah. I'll give my my uh, body dimensions right now. I'm five eight um 160 pounds i think that's all for body dimensions right yeah that's it yeah that'll do uh, you don't even need to know anything else yeah what else uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nah, nah, nah. okay uh let's see. You the board, <laughs> what the heck? the board was uh four feet so basically it's like you guys all know the lift when you start going on a foil it's, it's going to push you the foil was a lift itself, so it didn't have too much lift to begin with. Yeah. You know, if I was on like a really, I guess the Kajira maybe, like maybe a Kajira 1210, I would have wheelied without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. So I need, I need a smaller board so I can get closer and push down. Um, something not too wide. Um, any kind of flippers work, really. I mean, I have the Churchill shaped. They're called limited editions. Yeah. And you kind of bring your, the back foot's easy peasy. You just bring your foot up. 
with your, imagine your toes facing this way. Yeah. This is the board going the long way, 10 here. Um, your heel will go up, you won't get caught at all. And then this front foot, you just gotta have your toes going forward. So it's the same thing, your heels going on the board, not your toe, like you would be in surfing. And it's so easy to get on. I can stand up with the flippers about as fast as I can get up with, um, with the into straps. Like it's, it's almost immediate. Almost, I, it didn't stop thing. me. Yeah. Whatsoever. You, you've um, done a lot of strap foiling though. It's worth mentioning. I've, yeah. I've sort of gone on and off with the straps. Um, mm -hmm. I, I hurt my ankle a little while ago. Not, not too bad. It's like a minor little sprain. Like I still walk and all that, but it was, uh, I was like, oh, I don't want to use straps for a little bit. And I just, like, I, I'm not, hundred percent of the time getting my feet in the right spot when I, when I with the strap. So it's like, sometimes I get my front, like obviously front foot first. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Front foot first in. And then I usually, I'm usually standing on the back strap. Mm -hmm. and that, that annoys me because it's like, I don't want to be standing. Like usually takes me a wave. I'll pump back out. And then on the next wave, I'll really next foot back in. Yeah. I'm, I'm useless at it. I'm like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I need different straps. I'm just using the Armstrong ones at the moment. And, once, I've, once I'm on top of them, it's really hard for me to like get my foot up and a lot of time I'll kick the strap and it just folds under so it doesn't allow yeah. me to slide all the way in. So it's... That, that happens to me a bunch too. I just stay in a ball and just undo them with my hand just you know, mm. quick like that. Just yeah. stay in a ball and then stand up and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, everybody with that, that chick with the back foot strap, it's, it's just commitment. You got to... Your strap's almost on the center line. Yeah. You just got to bring your back foot out and then slam it in. And it's it's seriously the craziest commitment you'll ever do in your entire life. It's it's so scary. But once you do it, it it's nothing. You, you won't think twice about it. Yeah, it's probably why I'm scared. I, yeah, I'm not like, I'd probably say 20% of the time I'll stuff up completely. And 80% of the time I'll mm. get up. But then it's probably like half, half. I'll get up and get them in right away or or I'll have to, you know, front foot yeah i have to yeah. get in first if i don't get the front foot it's all over and i'll actually if i mm. don't i like stay on my board and i literally mm. like have my back foot on the board front foot and i lift my fr front hand on the board and actually lift my front foot up fix the strap and then throw the front yeah foot yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's like i'm, I'm like why am i doing this <laughs> bloody strap sure. yeah I'm on the one by one straps and those are pretty good i mean like like i said they do sometimes curl over but how they feel like they're not even there. It's like, it's totally worth it. So yeah. Yeah. Zane Redford just got a set of those one by one straps and he was saying he's been using the Armstrong for a long time and he's, yeah. he said they're best he's used for, for sure, which so I have to have a Good. line of them and, and maybe order some from, from Paul. He's uh, also, he's yeah, also a bodyboarder, right? Yeah. Next lid. That's right. Yeah. That's it's good. cool. Like it's, he's pushing it, man. He's after I haven't seen him do much downwind stuff, but I, I do want to start doing some surf foil chats too. Um, and he's one mm -hmm. of the guys definitely on the hit list. He's, I don't see anyone Have else to. doing what he's, he's doing. So like he's ripping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so kicking in, actually a guy messaged me and he, he heard me talking about you doing the boogie foil and, and he sent me a picture of these fins where um, if this is your foot, you know, normally your, mm -hmm. your flipper would be longer. It was, it was a fin that went sort of wider. So it was like, um, basically it was a wider flipper, wider and shorter. 
And he said, oh, would this be better for, for buoy following? And I'm like, look, I've got no idea, but I'll make sure I laugh. Because <laughs> um, yeah. I'd love to know, the boogie board community is actually like the most closed-minded community ever. Yeah, and right. that's seriously due to the Australian bodyboarders. Mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll say that pretty confidently. Like you look at any bodyboard movie from like 12, uh, sorry, 2012, like, and before it's just like, it's the most cult-like thing ever. If you don't wear pointy flippers like like churchill limited editions you're you're like you don't even count for style so like you know learning about those kind of flippers that the the man just mentioned it's it's like i have no idea because boogie boarding back then it's is the cult if you don't wear pointy flippers and cross your feet like this when you spin you cross your feet like this you're a kook it's like boogie boarding is the worst with that kind of stuff in australia mostly yeah well uh, the australian surfers in general are a bit like that um but uh, i live in northern beaches and there's a it's a pretty big shortboarding community and i I grew up like no one was riding anything other than a you know performance shortboard and yeah just in the last feels like in the last 10 years probably there's like the mid lengths people are riding mid lengths now and there's Mm -hmm. you know twin fins and and more and when i grew up i I bought a fish and people like oh don't ride that that'll ruin your surfing (laughs) And I'm like, well, the really waves does. suck. <laughs> the waves suck. You yeah, need to have more volume. Like, nah, it's shortboard. You got a shortboard performance shortboard. So it's obviously we've had a lot of world champions in this area. Tom Carroll, sure. um, Damien Hardman, and you know, bunch of really like it's pretty core, but it's yeah, mm-hmm. closed-minded, and it's starting to open up. But as you can imagine, yeah, me doing stand-up and foiling, mm-hmm. sort of a bit of an outcast, but that's cool. Yeah, no, foilers, foilers are punk rock. Every every foiler I've met is so cool. Um, thinking outside the box. They all have interesting jobs. Like, they want to do interesting things. They open-minded. It's pat yourself on the back, everybody. Like, I'm not kidding that. Just mm. right now, 2021, like, just the way the foil community is, like, these are the golden days, at least in California, where it's just, like, everybody's so cool. Um, we'll see what happens if, you know, money gets involved or there's too many foils, but it's, it's just so cool right now. No, it's true. At, at the moment, like I was actually, I went for a surf with my brother the other day and there were, we went out the back of this reef and way, way, way on the inside, like by the most sheltered spot, there was, there's this really good little um, surf spot by a flagpole. And um, there were like mm-hmm. six or seven foilers out and just, you could see they're like hooting each other and frothing and, yeah, yeah. and he's like, my brother was like, look at these nerds and hate your foils too. But like, like foilers are the most friendly nerds you will ever meet. Like they are actually. Everybody's a nerd yeah it's so really into it like so into the the pitch oh, what what foil are you using what size foil what board are you using yeah and everyone's just like party everywhere's a party wave um it's yeah the foiling community is epic and getting more and more people into foiling and then downwind foiling and just progressing to whatever you know whatever aspect of the foil you want to be doing it's it's good mm-hmm. and as you said it's the golden days right now we gotta enjoy it it is it mm. really is um I'm in a group chat and, uh, with some of the LA Foil Club now, which you yeah. added me to, uh, which has been good so far. Nothing, nothing to, <laughs> nothing, maybe I'm speaking too soon. But one of the things I saw in that group chat was that you said you think SUP foiling is the proper way to downwind. I'm not sure if it was you, maybe it was head dip, but. Yeah, no, there is the. Uh... I think he asked me that a while ago. I gave him a response, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't even really remember. I think, like I was saying with the shark thing, 
you know, about flipping in the middle of the ocean with flippers on a tiny mm -hmm. board, like this, how, how much safer it is to be on a sup and you really don't lose too much if you're just trying to do distance. Mm -hmm. You know, like you see all the guys, the guys on the Kijira are really doing like the craziest turns. Um, I saw like that video of Austin Kawama and the gorge, he did an insane turn too. Um, but basically what I'm getting at is like, if you're, if you're just trying to go for distance, like just be on a sup, you're going to be, it's the best way to do it. You can get up the easiest, probably shark wise. It's the easiest, you know, flotation is the easiest. Um, mm. and I'm, I'm really happy to have like finally learned how to get up on the sup foil, even though it takes me like two miles sometimes. <laughs> it's not yeah. that, it's not that windy though. It's mm. like, it's just like, wow, holy cow. Like, like I can go forever really. Yeah. So yes. it, it's the best way to do it, I guess, with hesitation in my voice. Yeah, it's definitely some hesitation. Awesome. I'll admit it. So um, on that, why don't we get into like your journey learning to, well, what was the first foil downwind you ever did? So do you remember your first one? Was it successful? Was it a nightmare? Yeah, yeah, right. I got, I got some good tips on this one too. Uh, basically, I was under the impression you have to start off at the tip of a point, at the tip of a headland you know, the wind's coming off real nice and then you're automatically out in the wind line and you have to cross a bay. Mm -hmm. So basically I did it um, at, at Point Magoo. There's like a point, Point Magoo. And then a bay, it's like two and a half miles. And I was like, I'm just gonna go for it. It was extremely windy. Um, it went pretty well. I went like a mile and a half. I was pumping a bunch. Yeah. Um, and the swells, were, the swells were pretty organized. So it was definitely downwinding, but the, the swell was really defined. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, I fell in the middle of the ocean um it wasn't a while after that because i thought you needed 30 knots of wind to downwind uh -huh. i seriously thought that and i really got to stress everybody listening where you live is more than likely possible downwind like at least five days out of the month you really don't need much um you know to make to make swell you need fetch the distance the wind blows duration the time the wind blows and intensity so basically um where i live we have a 100 mile fetch for most days you know every storm's different 100 mile fetch um our wind is very diurnal whoopsies <laughs> i mean flip you off yeah uh, <laughs> it's very diurnal you know so it gets strong in the afternoon but it does blow over the night out on the islands by us um and then the intensity it goes from like 20 to 30 knots to uh 12 knots local through that 100 mile fetch and most of the days I go out, the the buoy, the closest buoy says like three, three and a half feet, sometimes down to two. It really just depends. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is most people have something similar to that where they live. Yeah. You know, where they get like at least, I mean, 12 knots is like the the minimum I've proper downloaded in where you don't need a pump or anything. Yeah. Uh, so where you are is fine. You don't need a headland either. Um, I'd like to say for beginning downwinding, my biggest advice is, uh, do it prone. Well, do whatever you're most comfortable in. Mm. Most of you guys are prone, go prone and go to a beach break. And I know this is interesting. Try to do a show runner, shore runner, because when you go to a headland, you go the, so much weird stuff can happen at headlands. Think about what's making that point geologically speaking. Kahi was just saying like their mountains blow the wind offshore here the wind intensifies at the points and then dies inland all that's going to affect your swell all that's going to affect your route you're not going to get another chip in if you go to somewhere with like a plane or like a really big open beach you're going to get a constant wind field and constant swell across the whole thing so as long as you have somewhere 
that's relatively side shore, just go there and just see how long you can go. Park a car three miles down will probably be a good amount. Mm. And wait for a windy day, 12, 12 knots, and then just see how far you can go. And that was, that was what clicked for me. We have a place called Wainimi. We get 270, the wind, 270 degrees yeah. right from the west. And it's facing southwest. And it's, it's the perfect direction to learn. You just get chipping over and over. And it took me many attempts to finish the three-mile run. And uh, once I did it, it's like you can conquer anything. Yeah. So that's, that's my advice. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a really good tip. I think a lot of people, like you said, like, like Kahi going from Hawaii Kai across. And that, that bay no. is gnarly. Like that, even on a suck, no, no, no. I feel no. like I'm a long way out. And, and on top of that, you're a long way out. And the wind is cross offshore. So instead of being cross mm. on, which is blowing into the shore, it's across and out to sea. So the run the car he did mm. and, Jack, and Jack does um, is sweet if you know you can get back up again. But yeah, you, it's sweet. But but if you if you can't get up again, then like 45-minute paddling, that is ridiculously long. Like that's not only are they a long way out, but there's so much current yep. that comes around that island. Like yep. basically all the wind blowing between Molokai and Oahu everything funnels through there. And so if the, you get the tides wrong, you could be out there longer than 45 minutes. So definitely like Matt's saying, like a nice beach break or, or like um, Kahi was saying along that point at Diamond Head where mm. you can chip in and, you know, paddle under mm. the wave, that's for sure the best way to, to get into it. If you can't, if there's no spot like that, then what I always recommend is going to wherever you want to finish your run and just, paddling out, like it's on a stand-up, paddling out and just working on getting up onto the foil and giving yourself confidence that, yes, mm. if I do come down on the only downward run I can do, I can paddle yeah, up. That's I'm not going to get stuck because <laughs> yeah. you don't want anyone paddling for 45 minutes, <laughs> in, like, mm. no matter what, like, especially on your own, it's that's sketchy. And like I was saying, mm. you know, sometimes I do a little prone run and if I fall off, you know, but I'm no more than a kilometre out to sea, but on a mm -hmm. foot board a kilometer out to yeah. sea i'm like oh that's five ten minutes and car he just laughed mm -hmm. at me he's like five ten minutes like try 45 yeah, yeah. and i'm like well you're an idiot <laughs> and i think <laughs> i'm not an idiot i got cool. both of you i i did over an hour two it was two miles i fell right out of the gate on a two and a half mile run so oh, no. yeah yeah and we've all done it like it's all i think a lot of people that's why i ask always ask that like what was your first downwind and was it successful <laughs> And um, yeah, I th actually, what what equipment were you using? Like, what what size foil? And I'm, you're on a prone board, but what what foil are you using? Yeah, that, that same little four foot green board and a, a lift 170 28 inch masts. Yeah, um, yeah, the, the that was basically it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So generally, mm. what I always recommend is just just to assist you getting up again is using a larger foil for your first one because you know you're gonna fall like you would assume you're going to fall at least once. So no, you're not going to make it. You're yeah. not going to make it. That's yeah. simple. You're not. Yeah. Expect to fail. Like plan for the worst. Expect the best. Yeah. Hope for the best, but plan for the worst because yeah. So I always like in my coaching stuff, I always say, look, the GL240, that's probably the wing you want to start downwinding on because it's, it's, it's a high aspect, mm -hmm. but it's the biggest high aspect that go for will do. Um, mm -hmm. Like for lift, I guess it's more like the 200 or is there one bigger than the 200? um i think there used to be i don't really know yeah 
there's been this trend for everyone to use smaller and smaller foils for downwind yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And actually, one thing you mentioned before was on like the, the 12 knots is the lightest downwinder you've done with, you know, proper fetch, not just pumping the whole time. And yeah, I'd agree, 12 mm -hmm. knots is probably around the mark. But if there is any, what, what I found here locally in Sydney is if there's any leftover wind chop or oh, leftover yeah. swell, then I, I can use you can still downwind but also what i was going to say is like in bays where the fetch is much shorter i'll use mm -hmm. the gl240 or the 210 mm -hmm. because it's slower and on a faster foil i'm literally just pumping the whole time and it's not yep, fun yep. if i stop pumping i come down whereas on a slower foil it, it matches the speed of the swell and the chop whereas so yeah the fastest what i'm trying to say is the fastest foil is not always the best foil. If you want to get out there and just mm -hmm. surf and do turns, you want to be matching your speed, so the, the foil you use, to the chop. Mm -hmm. So for the pit water run, I will never use what I would use in the ocean. Um, pit water is yeah. like an inland sort of bay. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, basically, I'd use like the slowest foil I can find for that run. And then the ocean I'd use, obviously, mm -hmm. depending on the swell and the wind speed. A smaller foil um definitely yeah that makes sense super key. even the guys at the gorge um you know jack was using the 170 but you know on a really windy day in the ocean he'd be using a 120 and i was chatting to alex mm -hmm. from GoFall. they had the whole team there and austin actually used a foil that was a little bit quicker because he was worried he wanted to try to keep up with jack and mateo but he said he would have done better on a larger foil that mm. day because he came down or either he came down mm -hmm. or he, he said it was too hard to pump the whole way on the foil. The, the foil was I too bet. fast. So he was actually better off being slower and riding the swells mm -hmm. and being able to attack over the bumps rather than just working the whole time and never getting a rest. So that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Like, and it's, it's, it's really hard to know what the speed of the swells mm -hmm. or the chop is, but it just comes with experience. Like, um, yeah. Over time, you'll know that, okay, for this wind strength and this swell size, swell period, you'll know mm -hmm. that this foil is going to be good. Then if it's half that, then maybe yep. you're going to, to switch to this foil. And mm -hmm. Matt, you can probably, you'll probably be able to explain that better than me, but like, how would you, uh, I guess you're looking at the, the boys and uh, it's, it's hard to know those stuff, but that's, you study that, right? Like you're, tell us what you do for, for work because it is interesting following all the way like you're studying at least mm. the all the wave and period yeah and most 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 of the wave stuff is just for fun um i do work in like a geophysics branch um i'm pretty fresh out of college i really won't rep too much you know like career-wise like I'm, yeah. I'm still young and insignificant um but we do such cool stuff like where where i work you know we own three buoys that are in southern california um like i've been out like on a boat in a buoy deployment like I've seen like some of the developmental stages. So I don't want to say much more than that. Like, you know, you don't want to speak about where you work, like blah, 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 represented, yeah, yeah. but so exciting. I work with professional weather forecasters. They've been all over the world, like with the, the Navy forecasting. It's so cool. Mm. Um, but basically Cole and I um, were actually talking about this with the slower waves. Um, so first things first, you know, the shorter the period, generally the shorter the wavelength, the distance from one equal spot of the wave to the next. And their storing force of a wave is gravity. 
So basically, if you have gravity applied over this little thing, it's gonna fall. It's gonna fall over here, it's gonna fall. But this long one's gonna be faster. It's gonna propagate faster, just based off the wavelength, which is based off the period, they're all related. Um, to finish that statement, what Cole and I were talking about was um, when, you, when your foil is too fast for the wave, you really gotta turn, which is kind of an intermediate to advanced uh, skill on downwinding. Yeah. You know, I'm down when you go down, you go, you go straight with the wind and you peel out um, to a certain direction. In California, it's to the right. In Hawaii, it's to the left, or at least for the, the white, um, the Kaiko's run. Yeah. Um, but the really intermediate skill is being able to weave back and forth. And you have to be able to do that when it's light wind because you'll just be outrunning the swell. But if you turn, you're going to hit this bank and you're going to hit this bank and you'll see it's not wave moving like this. It's one wave coming like this and another one like this, but they're in sync and they're, it's the, yeah, it's the coolest thing. So yeah, actually, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to open up like a, like a whiteboard and I'm going to try to draw that. So basically, mm -hmm. and it, that's, you've got like, you know, you'll have, you know, people think it's like this. There's like wave after wave after wave, but in reality, it's actually more like this. You know, there's all these little, Yes, so that curve one. Yeah, more place. curves and stuff. And you're literally trying to sit in, like you say, these are peaks. You're trying to sit mm -hmm. as close to these as you can. You're running across. And like like there, if I was to continue there, go there, I'm going to run into this this one in front. Yeah. So instead of running like that angle, you probably would have been better off going this way and trying to, you know, go between and then jump onto this one. And then from there, you're going to have to, you know, maybe turn and go back like this way. It's You're never running straight down a run like that. Because you're going to run into like, all of those are speed bumps. You have to go up and over those. Pretty much. Unless it's like really organized swell or you're yeah. in shallow water. Like like you said on the last podcast, you went for like a minute or something on one wave. Like that, that can happen. But yeah, it like, can, but it's yeah. going to be good conditions. Yeah, totally. So when there's a, uh, a broad spectrum of frequencies, yeah, you have to go weave in and out. Yeah, that's I like that the broad spectrum of frequencies. That's a that's and it's to me in my head. It's just yeah, you know, there's just lots going on. It's it's not there's not one swell running, mm -hmm. and, and it's uh, different. So I find um, we have a run um, called the Broken Bay Run or the Hawkesbury Run, and it's an offshore breeze. So it there's like a little reef up the river, mm -hmm. and then it goes out into the ocean, and mm -hmm. that generally speaking will be relatively you know organized because there's only it's only forming from from one source it's just a big strong mm -hmm. offshore breeze and we're just you mm -hmm. know the lines are generally pretty straight and that's usually you're looking at 20 20 second runs so you get on one you just glide for a long time and you should be cutting across you're not going straight but you can mm -hmm. sort of run along it um, in the ocean that's super rare there's usually there's yeah. wind shock and there's swell and very rare that they go in the same direction so you're bouncing between yeah. the two so I'm um, sorry I cut you off, but that, that was something in my head I was, you know, worth mentioning. But it's depending on the run and the conditions will depend on what sort of lines you will be taking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, everyone's different. That's every every run is different, which is kind of the beauty of it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, let's let's keep going on that because I really like it. what were you saying about the. I guess you're running across and like in Hawaii, it's more running left where you are, it's more running right. Um, yeah, I'm still trying to find the answer for that. I, 
I want to say Coriolis because Coriolis describes most stuff in the ocean, but I definitely don't say that. Don't quote me anybody. No, that is it's <laughs> likely not the case. I just, most things, you know, well, actually, it's, are described here, Coriolis. Here in Sydney, we get like a southerly, a southerly wind, and then we get northeast sea breezes. So the, the, the southerly is like a storm. It's a cold front moves up or, or past along the coast. And then our sea breeze is northeast. So it's the exact opposite direction. So a lot of the time, as a cold front approaches, we'll get a northeasterly breeze because it's like an infeed mm. of the warm winds ahead of the, the cooler um, air mm. coming. And then as so you can drive your car up to one end, downwind in the northeast, which we're cutting left out to sea and then surfing right into shore. And then the next day when the southerly change arrives, we'll be doing the opposite. We'll be riding the southerly, which is obviously then we're going right because we're going right out to sea and then left into shore. Mm. So it's, it's mm -hmm. I guess, I think from what I've, you know, compared to Hawaii, where you only really ever go one way, um, mm -hmm. except for Kona winds, which I haven't heard many people doing Kona downwinders in Hawaii, mm -hmm. um, not in a foil anyway, but it's, um, it is interesting, the, all the different nuances to each different run. And um, I guess, yeah, totally. One thing, I want to get back into the SUP stuff and you had a bit of trouble, Matt, because you've got no SUP background. And oh, that's, yeah. that's actually really good. I want you to sort of tell us your experiences because a lot of people on here that um, are coming from prone falling that do see mm. SUP as probably the most, you know, uh, there's a lot of benefits to the SUP. You're standing up already. It's an all-around solution. You can initiate the pump while you're already, because you're already up on your feet. The paddle gives you a lot of yeah. speed. Um, so, yeah, do you want to share your experience of this SUP? No, yeah, yeah, sure. So I bought, my first one was like a Fanatic. Um, it was like a wing, wing board that I thought I could SUP on. I had no idea. Again, I was just looking at volume. Um, so I guess the hot, th hot thing right now is, you know, skinnier, definitely skinnier. Um, definitely try to pack the volume. Right now I'm on a 28 inch wide, five foot six. 105 liter quattro board. Again, I had no idea what I was buying. Mm -hmm. um, if it's windy, you can actually prone paddle yourself into bumps yeah. on that thing. I've done that plenty of times. So uh, yeah. you can buy a big board like that with intentions of getting up, but if it's not too windy, don't plan on it. Um, sub foiling, if you've never sub foiled before, it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. I seriously have not done anything in my entire life ever that's been so hard, even in the surf zone. Um, your first time you're not going to stand up like without a doubt you will not stand up I'll, I'll mm. bet you any amount of money um, especially when it's windy you're not going to stand up so I guess go to a surf zone when it's small and just learn how to get up on foil in a wave acquaint yourself with the foil and then really just go out and it, it's kind of contrary to what some past podcasts have said where you like I think Dave even said like Dave Kalama don't don't kill yourself on like a 10 mile run I say do kill yourself on 10 mile run. Yeah. Uh, that's coming from, you know, a 20 year old who's a little bit of a, I, I like to suffer a little bit, you know, I like to set <laughs> like a big goal and get it. Um, but you know, like with that many miles, you're gonna learn so much. Just park your car way down the way and then just go far out in the ocean and just see what happens. That's, that's, first not, time, that's not uncommon. I've had a few people say the same thing to me that, you know, yeah. if you've got the fitness and- If you've, you've got, got it, ambition, just do it. Bring do it. it. Put on a camelback, you will die of uh, dehydration. Like seriously, the wind will take it out of you. The pumping will take it out of you um, and just go. And a really fun thing to talk about is like, 
when you start kiting, I've never kited, but you talk about body dragging where you learn how to drag yourself in the, through the water without yeah. a board. I think when you start to downwind foil, especially on a big board, you can really angle yourself to have a swell hit you without even paddling, the swell will push you. Yeah. And partially that's got to do with like, if this is the foil here, when you lift it up at an angle and then you let go, the foil jets forward. Yeah. You know, like the, the typical meme where like your, your foil board gets away it from you in the wind is yeah. because it goes like that. So if you can learn how to body drag on your sup or whatever board, you know, try to get 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 feet without paddling at all, just point your board, you're going to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and once you get to the point of like learning how to use your sup for the beginners, you're still not going to be ready. You're not going to be ready. I could stand on my sup and like, I wasn't getting any progress going forward. What helped me was slow, slow it down. Just completely, you know, get like a wide stance and just do a long pull. Don't do a job because you're not ready for it. Maybe I know for the pros like you, like it's different, but just get that stance wide and just focus on one bump. Don't even try to keep up with it and just try to go straight because beginners, if here's your board, you're going to get on your toes and you're going to turn like this. You're going to turn like that. You're going to veer off to the right. So if you can just get down the body dragging and then apply that to standing up and then you finally have, you know, like a wave, uh, a set coming in a wave packet and then you get pushed from that set first one and then really get up on that second one or third one, whatever it may be. That's, that's what it's going to come down to. So just don't even try until like you're ready. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's interesting. Cause like you say, um, I, I got a, that that body drag, I guess that that um, where you just point the board and you're gonna get that that push. Yeah. I've got a friend who um, Sean will know. He's he's a waterman. He knows how to sup, but he was never much of us. He not a sprinter. He was we were never raced, but he'd just go sup for fitness. Mm-hmm. And and what he when when he first learned to downwind sup foil, he would literally like this is the board. He'd stand on it and like be like he basically had the tail down a lot. And then when the swell came, like he was pretty good at reading the bumps. He'd done a lot of downwind. Mm-hmm. But when the bump came, the right one came, he literally just press forward and he'd just mm-hmm. take off. And he'd do it in like three yeah. strokes. He'd literally just go from here, lean forward with the right timing and just be up. Mm-hmm. And unlike you're saying, yeah. like that's, it, it's the body drag of, he's it using is. like the gravity. So he's using the, the, the downhill of, of that peak and timing's got to be spot on but he had that because yeah. he just sort of stand t- like nose high and then push and take one it was pretty much two like one long stroke and then two quick ones and he was up mm-hmm. and going and i'm like how do you do that yeah, it's it's the ultimate excalibur sword you know that medieval story where they pull out the thing out of mm-hmm. the rock yeah don't try to over force it um all my best ones that i've been getting up on have just been like i said i just I'm trying to read the bumps, go smooth. And then when the timing's right, it's like, you know, like I could give you the, the dance moves to a Justin Bieber move, uh, dance song. Like I could write on a piece of paper, move your hand like this, move your hand like that. It doesn't matter. Like there's every person, you know, is, is in tune with their move, in, movements and everything. Mm. That's, how, that's how getting up on the Excalibur sword, like I'm saying is, is yeah, gonna yeah. be like, it's, you seriously just have to learn it, practice it, wait for it, suffer. Um, but you'll get it. You'll get it for sure. I mean, everybody can do it. Yeah. 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 It's, 
it's not a it's not as hard as learning to foil was. So that's one thing that I think ah, it was way harder, way harder, not even close. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna tell not you why it was harder. Two reasons. One, your first board was a wing board, so wide ah. and short. And the second thing, the board you're on now, five eight by twenty eight. I've got a five ten by twenty six, and compared to my six mm. o by twenty four, the the five ten would be. 30% harder and that's 26 wide. So it's two inches wider than my 24 and it's two inches shorter. Yours is 5'8", so it's two inches shorter again and it's 28 wide, so two inches wider as well. I and just can't even read the bumps when I'm on a sup. I have no idea when to paddle, um, where to look, how to stand, like that. that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's why it's the hardest. I have no idea. Like I said, I was able to get up prone like this and on the boogie board flippers, every combination. I could yeah. get up in the bumps, but when it came to sup, it was just like that first bump would hit me. I'd just go crazy and I'd fall right off. So yeah. it's the hardest thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I you, think you sure, like, a, you've obviously got a pretty good sense like for, for, for prone paddling and for, uh, you know, boogie foiling, like wave awareness. I totally agree with you on a sup, wave awareness. Like you, you see like, you know, your standard yeah. kook sup out in the surf and it's like, man, that person's going to kill someone. And mm -hmm. that was you out in the downwinder. Lucky there was no one around. Yeah. Like you didn't know what was going on around you. So when you learn to sup and sup foil, like, like you did start in the waves. And I'd always say start in, you know, the smaller side of waves. You want a nice big channel, yeah. pretty clear takeoff spot and the least mm -hmm. people around as possible because you're on a foil, you're on a big board, you've got a paddle. It's, a recipe for disaster if there's lots of other people around. There's lots of things to hit. And that control that you may or may not have um, oh, yeah. can, you know, hurt someone. So definitely find your own spot. And if there's no spot, just go paddle out beyond the break in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Because just the swell and the wind and the currents, all that's going to be something totally different to what you used to. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's a bigger board. You're on a paddle. You're standing up and... There's a lot of balance factors. Um, one thing mm -hmm. I think that Matt, for you, made it a little bit harder was the, you know, a lot of people, I think you mentioned to me before, you just want to go to, you like to suffer. <laughs> you prefer to do the 10 mile run. You, you, yeah, you yeah, start yeah. on the board that was probably, well, how many liters was it? A hundred, was it a hundred? 105. 105. Yeah. And you're, yeah, yeah. Uh, what are you like? 70 kilos. So that's, what's that in kg? I could look it up, but. It's yeah, be like seventy kilos. That that's that is actually a fair bit of volume for you. But anyway, mm. with no sup background, a five eight, yeah. a really short board is hard to negotiate. Even yeah. a guy that I've caught guys that have supped for the last five years on mm. you know things that are eight foot, nine foot boards, and they've gone down to a like a big sup foil board, like sort of six foot, six six up to seven foot, and they are out of control. And they know how to sup, mm -hmm. but they're out of control yeah, yeah. on a six foot foil board because every time they take a stroke, the board just turns. Yeah. And they take another stroke and it's, it's turns. So hard. It's hard. Yeah. Like it's, it's a different. Yeah, so watch, watch a bunch of good uh, paddle videos. You know, there's not enough time to talk about it on this podcast, but anybody wants to get into it, watch paddle videos. Blue Planet did one that was really good. And just to finish off what we're talking about, it's kind of like, you know, when you see sometimes like a, a meathead, like a really jockey guy that goes down to the beach, like they're actually legit yoked, but they go paddle on the shortboard and a wave comes and they're like looking all around. You can just tell they're not going to catch it. 
and they paddle as hard as they can um, versus, you know, the, the skinny professional, you know, kid where they, they just don't, they don't, they just know the wave's coming and they kind of just tip their head and they do like one slight soft paddle. That's how you should be trying to mm -hmm. approach this sub thing. And even knowing this information, you're still going to suffer. Like it's, that's, I think that's just what it is. Totally agree. And I think the more time, like, for those that really want to learn to start downwind, you've almost got to put the prone board away for a little while and just, if you're going to go for a foil, take the sup foil board out. Yeah. And as much as that maybe hurts your ego, maybe you're not <laughs> going to enjoy it for the short term. If your goal is to learn to downwind foil on a standup, that's mm -hmm. kind of necessary because you need to be as comfortable on your sup or more comfortable on your sup than you are on your prone. Because yeah, that's kind of, you know, Without that, it's going to make it really hard. You've got to be able to maneuver your board. You've got to be able to accelerate. You've got to be able to be balanced. You've got to be able to pump the board before you even get get onto that swell. And mm -hmm. without that, it's you're fighting an uphill battle. Basically, it's yeah, it's tricky. You'll, and, you'll be able to do it though. You'll be able to do it without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. So like Matt said, he, he so Matt did exactly what I would not recommend to do. Too too small, <laughs> too short, too wide. If, like, mm, yeah, if you've got yeah, a choice and especially like benefit of hindsight now and, and stuff that like the testing and everything's getting better. It's getting easier. When I first yeah. learned to downwind, I was using a seven, two by 24 wow. and a half. So yeah, like, that's, and I was using the original go for Maliko, which is pretty small. That's like a compared to lift. It'd be like a one sixty, I reckon it's a bit smaller than the one seventy. Um, so I needed a windy, mm -hmm windy conditions but the length of that board the 7.2 that really helped me and it was a square board like it looked like my phone like it was a rectangle complete rectangle it was a skinny rectangle yeah. but it was long and square uh, and I still think that's the easiest board I ever learned to pad like I ever paddled up on longer and skinnier wow okay yeah so a yeah, lot it of people, to be right yeah a lot of people will say like short like from I hear a lot of people talking about like comparing it to winging and they say, Oh, but I can get up earlier on a shorter board because I can initiate the mm. pump. And yes, I understand that. But with a wing, <laughs> you've got all this power in, in yeah. the, in the sail and you know, your waterline makes bugger all difference really. Like yeah. compared to when you're under your own steam with a paddle, that extra glide mm. you can get, as long as you understand where the lift point is, as in you have to step back to get the lift. As long as you understand mm -hmm. that, then I would definitely say a longer board is longer, skinnier is easier than shorter, wider. Um, yeah, for sure. I hopefully can get a board like that. We'll see. I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. I agree, though. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got a I got a tip uh, for popping up on foil. Um, I haven't heard anybody else say yet. Okay. I'm kind of uh, happy, excited to announce this one. Can I share my screen real quick? Yeah, let's do it for the audience. Yeah. All right. Here I will attempt a screen share, and I'm gonna go to here. I'm share my screen. Okay. So basically, um, I'm not gonna go too deep in this. Uh, there's so much to talk about ocean waves. Anyway. I'm excited. Here we go. I'm setting a I'm setting a period here for one wave. I'm setting a period from another wave. I'm using equations from a book to get the wavelength for the first wave, getting wavelength for the second wave. Um, I set the amplitude equal to both of them. Here I'm doing wave number and frequency. Uh, you can kind of ignore these, but basically if you understand what a frequency is, 
the inverse of the period, that's what the wave number, this K right here, is. Uh, and it, it's kind of like that for the, the period version. But I'm going to say quickly, for those listening, blank. I definitely recommend jumping on to the YouTube channel and looking at it because this is this is good stuff. This is technical. This is getting a bit techier than, than I'm sort of used to, but it's good. I'm excited. Keep going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it, it's exciting. Yeah. So there's, like I said, there's so much ocean waves, but basically, um, let me take away that. There's kind of like three parameters you can describe uh, a wave with. Your wave height, well, in this case, it's amplitude, forget it, it's all good. Your wave number, which is uh, proportional to your uh, wavelength, K1 right here, and uh, omega 1, which is uh, inversely proportional to your period. Either way, you know, this is the typical uh, cosine wave you'll see in uh, geometry or trigonometry, I forgot which one. As this x axis right here is for wavelength. And this y-axis right here is uh, displacement, vertical displacement. And as time goes on, the wave propagates. Again, what makes the wave propagate is gravity. So what I'm getting to, I'll make it quick. In the ocean, there are infinite amount of waves. Like, say that with confidence. Don't be scared to say it. Infinite amount of waves, especially when you're down downwinding, it should be so clear to you. We'll do an example with just two waves so you kind of see what I'm saying. Here we have two waves present. The second wave has a period of four vice three. And as you can see, that makes the wavelength a little bit wider or longer. Linear wave theory says you can add waves together. So basically you see where this, these two uh, crests line up right yeah. here at one, two. When you add them together, you're gonna get a vertical displacement of four because you're having swells run over each other and add together. And same thing where maybe like here, we have like a positive one on this wave and a negative one on this wave. It's gonna be close to a displacement of zero. So now I'll add them together. Hey. As you can see, that kind of came true right here where we have four and over here we kind of add zero. I'm kind of eyeballing it, it's hard to say. Yeah. So let me get rid of those first two waves we had in. And now this is, what the displacement of your ocean looks like. Again, the y-axis is displacement. As time goes on, let's, uh, let's follow this one here at zero, right here at zero and watch as it goes this way. Imagine you're a downwind foiler. So you're taking off on the wave, it's nice and big. You're still happy, you're still happy. And then it's starting to diminish, but you're like, whatever, it's all good. And then all of a sudden that peak you were on right about now, it goes to zero. Did you kind of see that where it kind of faded away? Yeah. And that's, that's what's happening in the ocean. All these waves are adding together and they're resonating at a certain frequency. So you apply that to an infinite amount of waves and you get crazy things happening. Um, so here, uh, I, was, I was pretty impressed by, on the uh, progression project with uh, Mr. Kalama, how he was talking about how he learned how to catch the wave at the back of the pack and then go up to the front. So there's, in physics, there's uh, group velocity and phase velocity. Each of those individual waves are phase. So here, like all these crests, the speed that these move at when I press start, like tracking this one, that's the phase velocity. So yeah. my mouse kind of followed that one. Yeah. The group velocity, you really have to keep track of it. See how there's like one, two, three of these, like, I don't know, honeycomb thing maybe you'll describe them as? Yeah. One, two, three those are actually moving and that's the group velocity. 
So in the ocean, group velocity moves at half the speed, whoopsies, half the speed of phase velocity. And um, why this is important is because dispersion is happening. And I think a fun downwind term would be, don't feel obligated to say this at all. When we're talking about waves, say at Snapper Rocks or wherever you live, you see a set coming in and that first wave is so defined. The one behind it's not gonna affect it whatsoever, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're in the downwind realm, if you know I'm a little bit upwind of you versus you being a little bit downwind of me, we see that first wave come in. My experience with that first wave is going to be so much different than yours because these waves are dispersive. The group velocity and the phase velocity don't equal the same thing. Um, so as you can see, in, when a wave packet, so instead of calling it like a, a set, I like to call it a wave packet. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the physics term too. As you can see, it's moving away from me. That's the group speed. Anyway, right here, let's say my mouse is right here. I'm trying to catch this wave. The first one's not the big big one. It's the second, third, fourth, fifth. Really depends on you know, the nature of the swell, the underlying swell. And let's see, I'll pause it right here. What's really cool, the, chi- the chip-in, now we're finally at the chip-in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> why we're doing all this. Big rabbit hole. Thanks for holding on. Nice. Is that once you get to like this middle one, most, most of the time for me, it's like the second and maybe third one based off the type of wind that we have. Yeah. These are the biggest ones. These are the steepest ones. And if you look, follow my mouse. See how it's kind of like making a downhill? Yeah. When you're chipping in to a, a wave, it doesn't matter if you have a piece of whitewash behind you. If you get that piece of whitewash, but there's an uphill in front of you, you're screwed. So when you're at kind of like these not the first one, but the second, third one, you're actually going to see, you can, I promise you, you'll see it. You'll see a set down of waves over like a hundred feet. I was just out with uh, my, my buddies, Cole and Dane. They were downwind of me and I saw a wave packet come in. I, it passed me. So I was at like, you know, the top of it right here. And I was like a couple feet higher than they were. And basically what that allows you to do is chip into a steep spot so you chip into something steep like this. This is a steep wave. This is not a steep wave. Steep wave is defined as the wave height divided by the wavelength. Anyway, you got this. If you're heading this into this, going this way, you're not going to go anywhere. But if you have this into this, yeah, you're so golden. You can get the tiniest little chip and this downhill, you'll just be able to ride it. And that's what I've noticed you can get if you wait for the back. And the cool way to identify uh, group velocity is kind of like when a wave comes, a wave packet comes and it breaks. It's going to break in one spot. And then it's going to go a little bit further and it's going to break in another spot. And it's going to go a little bit further and breaks in another spot. Would you agree you've seen that? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, like, like it's running away from you or like you're saying it's, there's three. Yeah, it, it's easiest to see from land. You'll, you'll see it from land and you, you watch a big set come in wave packet uh, and you'll see the white water break in one spot yeah and then you'll try to keep your eyes on it but it's going to do all this weird stuff where the you know the crests blah 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 do whatever they want to do yeah. but you can follow the group speed because it's going to break here and then it's going to break here you see how my mouse is moving with the wave yeah. packet and it's going to break here and uh, that's what i was impressed when dave Palma was able to ride the phase speed through the wave packet which is freaking amazing um i guess that's all i wanted to share um, yeah 
let's, the let's, big um, takeaway being you want to chip in to a downhill and that has to do with this. Yes, uh, for sure. That, 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 like that, that was obviously epic. Thank you, Matt. That was, for, for those that followed along, <laughs> he's doing it drunk. No, not drunk. He's just having a couple of beers. Nah. <laughs> you fucking drunk, mate. Fucking yeah. Even from Australia. <laughs> um, unreal. Like that, the, the, the way all those interact um, and, and like the, yes. the different swells. And one thing that I guess I want to add on to that, because I think this is going to, Dave spoke about wormholes. Um, and mm. basically there's a few like wormholes. I, I also, the people I've heard downwind paddlers also refer to them as like gates. So essentially I'm going to sh share a screen, like the whiteboard again. Uh, mm -hmm. Let me get rid of all this. Basically the way I see like a wormhole, the way Dave was describing it is you've got like, like Matt was saying, you've got these, you know, sets and it's, it's more complex than three lines, but that's the easiest way to probably describe it. And then you've got another swell and maybe this is along the coastline and you've got like a bit of a headland here and you actually get waves refract or bounce off mm -hmm. a headland and actually almost be running like this way generally. Oh you know, yeah. So then you'll have basically they intersect and at every spot they mm -hmm. intersect, there's an uphill and a downhill. So we're looking at, we're looking at this, but if, another soil interacts, you basically you've got another um, uphill and downhill. So what happens is if this is, if we're looking straight downwind and this is our peak that we can't get over and a swell runs through it, on this peak, on either side of this peak, there's a, an uphill and a downhill. So if I'm running, I guess, let's say we're running this direction, I'm not gonna be able to get over it by going straight. But if I run in behind this wave like that, Basically, I've just gotten a free ride um, mm -hmm. to get over that peak or that's, you know, you can usually ride that all the way through. So if this is, you know, a bit of refractive swell all the way across like that, you can literally run across these maybe larger sets, maybe smaller sets, but these ones that are preventing you from getting over, you can, where, where they cross over, there's, um, the best way to do explain it is every bump has four sides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, and then maybe the, the sides are way further apart. So this is looking like a bit of a Mr. Scribble, but if this is mm -hmm. our peak, essentially there's a downhill this way, this way, and then this way and this way. And mm -hmm. obviously depending on how wide they are, you know, if it's a really long one like this, the sides are here and here and then back and front. When one comes across, right. you've got the same thing again. You've got a downhill, uphill, or whatever it is, and then side to side as well. So if you can think about every bump having four sides, then you're looking at always an option to overtake, yeah, and get sort of up and over mm -hmm. these sort of bumps. So do you want to expand on that? Um, or... Yeah, I got some opinions for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically, I'm sure you would. Uh, are you sure? What does that mean? Okay. Um, basically, like, what I want to say is, uh, once you do get up on foil, we cover we covered pretty goodly like how to get up on foil. Once you are on foil, 
I'll quote Bob Forbes, look for the holes. You look for the holes because holes are going to turn into rising water. The way I think of downwinding, this is not verified by any physicist, but I think it's right. It's like hang gliders, you know, when they, uh, they get the updrafts off the cliffs. Yeah. That's all we're doing. We are looking for rising water. So when you're in rising water, imagine you're in the surf zone, here's your wave and you're pumping through it. When you're going through that wave, there is no way you're going to be able to sink your foil. Like there's just so much rising water. It's impossible, maybe off the backside, but it's impossible. So when you're downwinding, look for the hole because a hole is going to turn into rising water. So you're saying a hole and, um, is in like, that's like the trough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because like a, a low point is going to, you know, yeah. Yeah, a low point. It's going to propagate sure this way. And where it is right here, if it's propagating, it's going to turn into a high point. So you're getting that rising water. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's really all you're looking for. And like you said, we said even earlier, don't go straight with the wind all the time. Sometimes you got to turn off the back of it. What I really do here a lot of time is I tack left to get back to shore. And then I do a huge like out to sea turn because I have to get through the backside of the wave really quickly. So I exit with speed off that crest. I glide through the, the trough. And then since I'm going out to sea, I get that water pushing up. And um, that water pushing up just keeps my speed up and you can go forever, ideally. So yeah, absolutely. There's four corners, you know, swell is, there's infinite amount of waves, but swell does statistically, you know, characterize the waves into, you know, like a finite number and way for us to comprehend, which we can ride in, you know, certain different ways and make sense of it. So yeah, four ways, four ways to swell. That makes sense for sure. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's more than four, really. Like, that's making, that's putting it into a box so you can explain it. Like, if there's one bump, you've got... Yeah. If there's more than four sides... It's basis. Obviously. Yeah. It's basis is four, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess if you can think about it that way, then you understand the wormholes is the way I think about it. Because mm -hmm. if, if this swell's running this way and then this swell's running this way, you've got all these different um, low points. You've got the low points to... You've got a low point to get through. So this is a high point and this is a high point, but either side of the high point, there's a low point. So that's how you get through yeah. and overtake a swell mm. or a chop or whatever it is. Mm. And it's, it's kind of like buying crypto. If you, if you understand stock markets, blah, blah, blah. You know, you want to buy, buy low, sell high kind of thing, whatever. Apply that to downwinding where you, you get the rising water and then you sell on the trough. And basically, uh, when you're going with the wave, the frequency of being able to buy and sell is hard. You know, so if you're in a high point, uh, you know, you don't you want to hold on to what you got for a long time. When you're a low point, you want to drop it. But if you're going like sideways or even reverse, you're crossing like the highs and lows quicker. So if you can buy and sell, buy and sell, buy and sell really quickly on your downwind run. As long as you're efficient at it, you're good. You know, if, if it's your first time, you're probably going to go into the chop and the chop is going to take you right down on the wormhole. But if you know where to look at the exact time, exact place, and we're talking within a couple of feet, like, you know, if, if you're not on, oh, yeah. if you're not on the bump by like a foot or two, it can be game over. So if what I'm saying is when you go into the chop and you have more, more crap coming towards you, downs, you can take advantage of it if you know what you're doing. 
Yeah, and this is all getting a little bit more advanced. This is up and riding. Like you're already up on the foil and you're... Oh, yeah, we're up and riding. Yeah, yeah we're up and sure. riding. You don't think about this yeah, yeah, when you're yeah. trying to get up because when you're just trying to get up, no, 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 no. just think about the smallest, steepest chop is going to get you going. Deep. And, and think about... Deep and annual. Uh, it's, it's probably worth mentioning this, but um, I never look behind me when I'm trying to get going. You, I'll, like, I'll, I'll maybe have a look and I'll see a set coming and generally the set yeah, that you yeah. coming is probably not a good one. Um, the mm -hmm. ones you can't see, the ones you feel, if you're looking behind, if you're looking straight downwind, you want to be looking for like this, this, Dave explained it really well. If you've got an uphill in front of you, that's going to turn into a downhill. So you want your nose to be high. And then as soon as your nose begins to drop, that's when you want to start to go. So if you can preempt that nose dropping, yeah. you're going to be able to get like a little bit of a head start, a little bit of a roll in. And that roll in, as long mm -hmm. as it's a nice, you know, if, if it, the reason we want the small chops are because they're slower. A bigger swell is generally faster mm -hmm. and you can't keep up with the bigger swell when you're just paddling. Once you're up and, and this is the cool thing about falling, once you're up and foiling, those bigger swells you can keep up with. Whereas any other craft downwind, whether it be stand up, mm -hmm. whether it be prone paddleboard, whether it be surf ski, outrigger, you can't keep up with those bigger swells. The yeah. difference between foiling is you can keep with those swells, but you're not using them all the time. You still need to use the slower, um, the slower stuff and run across the back of them. And you can get on yeah. those ones and run with them, but you've probably got to be using a pretty small foil. So when you're starting, totally. like I always say, use a bigger foil, bigger slower foil, and do what the sucks and the surf skis and the Abrigo canoes do. The biggest, um, I used a Maliko 280 in a race in Victoria probably four years ago. And <laughs> I gave, I, I beat all the skis to the, the, out, the point mark because it was like an up, a, a flat water start. And then I was gassed. And this is the Maliko 280. Mm. This is the slowest foil probably on the market. I, get, I was buggered. I sat down on my board and I started paddling out the sea looking for more bumps. All the surf skiers mm. kept going past me at, you know, sort of 10 to 15 k's an hour. They were moving way quicker than I was. I then got up on the foil probably two or three minutes later after they continuously paddled and I mowed down every single one of those surf skiers <laughs> on a Maliko 280. People say these yeah, big yeah, foils right. are slow. It's relative. Mm -hmm. The big foils are slow compared to what you're using in the surf but the big foils are still faster than any surf ski, which is the fast next, yeah, quickest, right. which is the next quickest, you know, downwind paddling craft. So mm -hmm. I've pissed off that many surf ski paddlers because I've been quicker than them in mm -hmm. the early days. And they're like annoyed that a stand up mm -hmm. is going quicker than them. The point is don't be annoyed that you're going slow on a big foil because you're still going faster than anything else. But you may not yeah, be going as fast good. as your friends. Mm. Yeah, and just hit your turns. And what I what I'd like to share about once you do get up on foil, again, this is from a beginner, so I think it's relevant to the audience. Yeah. Once you finally do stop wobbling, once you finally do start getting your glide on your paddles, and you finally get up on foil, don't celebrate too early. Keep paddling mm. until you're seriously up on foil. Like I'm not kidding. Like it's probably going to be five to ten seconds before. So once you get up on foil, keep going for about maybe five to 10 seconds, depending on your conditions, blah, blah, blah. But many times I celebrated too early 
and I kind of just lost my speed and the wave passed me. I went back down and it was another long amount of time before I got up on foil and to avoid, you know, and sometimes you you're pumping and you just drop through the water. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a really unique feeling. I haven't had it as too much lately because I've learned how to deal with it. I'm on a lift foil, so I don't know how much it changes for everybody. That's usually happening because I was pushing down too hard and it's just, what the feeling is like your foil just drops out vertically like that. Instead of pointing it down and getting a glide that way, mm. it just drops. And what I've found to combat that, and this helps when you're getting up on foil or you're losing speed when you downwind, is to slowly just drop your butt. Don't do a dolphin pump where you dive your front foot forward. Just kind of dr slowly drop your butt and that's going to, I think it applies like a nice force on the foil where it doesn't overpower it, but it gets you forward. And then once you're at the bottom of that, like butt drop, you can kind of spring up. Um, that's, that's what I really recommend for once you catch the wave, keep going hard. And then if you feel like you're dropping out, kind of drop your butt. And uh, that's, that's been the best recovery mechanism for me in the surf and in downwind. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. That, that stalling feeling is the worst. And as the foils get thinner and thinner, that happens more and more that the, you know, the original go foils mm. are so knuckly and big. You almost couldn't stall it out where these foils get faster mm -hmm. and faster. The stall speed gets earlier. And that stalling feeling when you're downwinding is it's, the worst. it's like, Oh, that energy yeah. for nothing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, it's a little bit compatible. Yeah. You can, you can figure out ways around it. Yeah, for sure. There are ways against it. And I guess for those that, I guess I've told a lot of people to buy the Maliko 280 to, to learn to paddle up in super light conditions and just work on that technique. Um, mm -hmm. When they then move to like a GL or an NL or, you know, something you know, thinner like the Lift or the Kajira, but, you know, they're much faster foils than, you know, the Maliko 280, which I think is the slowest, um, mm -hmm. which is why I recommend it. Um, Okay. the stall speed is so much higher and when they push down with the front foot like they would in the Maliko 280 they're not getting any like they're not getting any lift back up exactly but just stalls out so yeah so just don't push on that front foot just kind of equal foot drop your butt so you get more time because if you push really hard you just go really quickly through but if you drop your butt you're kind of just gonna go slow you'll get a slight projection but that's really all you need because you're waiting for that next rising pocket of water. So if you can glide to that next pocket of water, I've come back from like really close to zero stall speed because I've, gl I've glided a little bit and then just waited for that water to come up from under me. And then I push as hard as you can because if you have rising water, you can push, you can be as dolphin-y as you want and you're gonna get that projection. If you're going to falling water, you're dead. You, you really have to just glide through it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's one of the things I always recommend people who are learning is to learn to paddle up in, in, I get them to work on their technique in flat water. And the reason I do that is because they really understand the, the technique and, and the pumping motion so that they can do that in downwind. And, and what I find is if you do it in flat water, you, it's going to be easy in the bumps, as long as you understand what the bumps are doing and you can pick those downhills and, you know, not be trying to get up in the uphill. Um, mm -hmm. With that, that really understand that stalling motion because you know from a Maliko 280 like I say start on the biggest wing you can get and whether it's an Axis 1020 or Maliko 280 it's, it's it's a big foil and then they I get them to step down to smaller foils and um you know whether that's you know 280 then the GL 240 
you know, the 180 or, you know, whatever it is, you know, you saw Jeremy Riggs paddle up on an NL 160 in, in flat water, which is, yeah, like, yeah, that's, right. that's impressive. Like he's, he's little, um, he's got, he's a good paddler, but I don't care. He's still, that's impressive. I can barely mm-hmm. even paddle up on the NL one. I can paddle up probably 80% of the time on the NL 160 in like good downwind bumps. The fact he's doing that really? in flat water, it's impressive. Yeah. It's impressive. Um, but the fact is if you can step down in flatter water or with a bit of breeze behind you in controlled conditions, start big and then just step down the sizes, step down the sizes until you, mm-hmm. you know, like I can, I can paddle up the PNL 185, which is what I use most of the time for my longer downwind runs in flat water. So I know no matter how windy or how light wind or how flat it is out in the ocean, when I'm doing a longer downwind run. I know I can get up and going. Mm-hmm with confidence yeah with the nl 160 that's like i know i need a bit more wind and a bit more push behind me to go quicker so it's um i think that's how i'll be with the 120 it's uh yeah it's such a big difference i i tried the 120 actually um and the, the thing with me the lift is that the i can't because go is like the most front foot foil probably out there and that, from what i understand lift is probably the most back foot forward back foot foil out there i've never felt overlifted, no matter how fast i go it completely if you put your foot here it's going to turn if you put your foot here it's going to turn it's like there's no lift from it whatsoever it's so weird yeah and, and i got it was decent it was i don't know it was it was pretty it was windy not like 10 i'd say somewhere between 10 and 15 knots but the bumps were decent and i could paddle mm-hmm. up the I could paddle up the 160, I could paddle up mm-hmm. and I could paddle up the 120 from lift, but it was way easier for me on the 160 than it was the 120. Main reason being yeah. is I would get the lift, but I just kept stalling. So because I have yeah, yeah, my right. go foils when I downwind at the front of my box, like front of the, the, the lift, I, I want it to be like the same forward again. So if I like was to spin yeah. my box around, I'd want my go forward mm-hmm. to be the back and the lift to be right at the front. So because I have the lift so far, relatively, it feels like it feels like it's at the back of the box, basically, when I'm trying to pump it up. Whereas, so when I'm paddling, if these are my feet, usually I'll shift my foot back to get that final bit of lift. On the lift, yeah. I'd have to shift my foot back further again, which slows you down. Yeah. The further back you've got to put your if foot, you're... the further, the less speed you have. So I found that, Basically, I yeah. couldn't. It was hard. I, you know, I think I got. It was. I had four attempts. I got up twice, and I was right. really trying to pick the best bumps. So, sure, sure. Front of the box is always the best for getting up and going because it means you've got less swing weight forward. But also, when you're paddling, you can shift your foot. You have to shift your foot back as far. But yeah, the lift. Well, I, I think of it as a as torque. If you have like your your here's your the place you're rotating off of, here's your radius. Like the equation for torque, I don't know off the top of my head. I think it has something to do with radius times force times cosine, whatever. If you're out further in here, it doesn't matter. If you're a mechanic, you know. If you're trying to get a bolt off, you're gonna put a pipe on and you're gonna grab way out here so you can push down. Yeah. When you're on your foil, if this is your foil right beneath you, you're standing on it. So your force gives you Sorry, sorry, your, uh, your foil gives you 100 units of force. If you're right on top of it, you're not really going to diminish it. But if you're way out here, 
you're just going to torque this force or sorry this uh, lift into nothing like the lift still exists but you're just torquing it down so if you're right on top of it which is the case with the go foil when you can be in front of it because it's pushing up the lift is the opposite you've got to be on top of it depends for each foil but yeah it, it's the torque it's just like if you have torque on that distance in front you're screwed with lift it's so hard and it's more of a story if you buy a lift you have to get your boxes all the way forward yeah. um uh the progression project i think he's at six millimeters did he say that on his 120 yeah I, six millimeter shim shim right yeah wow so that's so he's really i don't want to put words in his mouth more front foot pressure huh uh, I think that's where he's at and it's got to be partially, you know, partially because of the foil, partially because of his weight, partially because of his long board. And it's just, yeah, the lift, you really have to make it with the boxes forward, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So another thing we want to touch on is currents. How does a current, <laughs> how does a current affect uh, the steepness of bumps? And, you know, we talked about Hood River, another spot for me locally in Sydney is our Broken Bay or Fleet and Steel run. Westerly winds, you want an incoming tide, it stands it up steeper. As soon as the tide change changes, it like pretty much flattens it out. So do you want to talk a bit about that, Mr. Coach? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, Jack actually mentioned in the last episode, it's really um, as simple as an opposing current is going to transfer energy into the wave. It's going to increase the amplitude it's going to uh, make the wave closer together. And therefore that's gonna make the wave steeper. Mm -hmm. Most interesting thing about ocean waves is the period does not change. So the, like, the period didn't change when I said that. It's the best way to describe it is kind of like, imagine a toll booth on a freeway. You're 10 seconds behind the person in front of you. When you get to the toll booth, you're going, okay, so when you're on the freeway, you're going like 65 miles an hour. When you go to the toll booth, you're going three miles an hour or whatever. The whole way, you're 10 seconds behind the person in front of you. And that's what happens to ocean swells. So even if the, the, it bunches up together, um, the, the period is going to be preserved, which is so cool about ocean waves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Jack, Jack nailed it. There's really not much to explain. I'm really trying to figure out for which spot, like how to determine what the tide's going to be doing for it. Where I live, the Emma Wood run, if it's high tide, you can't do it. If it's above four and a half feet, you cannot do that run. Cole, Cole, Cole and I did it and it just sucked all the life out of the bump. So if you have a current going with the bump mm. or uh, in, in our case, I think on that day, there was a bunch of reflections off the seawall. It's just going to completely ruin your, your run. Um, mm. So be, be mindful of everything. If you think something's happening in your run, it's harder one time. It probably was. That's, that's my message to everybody who's listening. You're, you're not crazy. These subtle things. Most of these currents, I think I've I've found a couple numbers on the internet where they only move a couple knots, which is nothing. Mm. But those couple of knots completely change your wave and your downwind experience. Yeah. So, yeah. For for sure. And um, the it, in that that Hawkesbury or Flint and Steel run that we do, it's it it goes from you know bombing, you know not not head high, but it's at least waist high. And this is a bay run. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as the tide changes, it just goes to like, it's uh, flat. like there's no white caps anymore. It's windy. It's howling, but it's, yeah, yeah, right. you know, it's, it's a lake. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, definitely the, the current is huge and it, it'll determine when we do that run because um, mm -hmm. we, we don't know otherwise. Whereas and one thing, mm -hmm. go. 
was going to say for the ocean, it's a lot harder to distinguish where, what the currents are doing for us because, yeah. you know, an incoming tide, obviously it's, it's pushing into the coast and an outgoing tide's oh, pushing really? out from the coast and you're going across the coast. So it's hard to know. Yeah. Obviously around headlands, there'd be tides and mm-hmm. stuff going on, but it's, it's more difficult. Whereas in, in the river, like a bay, it's coming in one spot and it's going out the other spot. So it's easier to know exactly what those currents are doing. Totally. That's, that's how it was on my first downland uh, attempt at Magoo. It's a, it's a headland and there's a huge underwater submarine canyon. And you get off that canyon and the bumps just turn to nothing. Mm. Um, so there's this, I have no idea how to correlate it, but there's these things called internal waves. So basically when there's a big change in water depth or a mountain underwater, a big seamount, that wave's going to hit it. That motion of water is going to hit it. There's going to be different densities of water, different temperatures of water, and there's going to be propagation within the water. So at the surface level, we're not going to see it at all, but there's so much stuff going on below. They're also, uh, uh, they propagate from gravity. And that's what I'm trying to figure out now is what kind of, you know, scenarios will change waves based off internal waves. And mm. internal yeah so well you're the man to look Definitely into i'll have to get you on when you figure that yeah. out <laughs> yeah I'm not, I'm not ready to talk about it but keep yeah. in mind everybody report report i want to hear it for sure yeah. yeah that's a good point if it feels like something's different have a look yeah. at what like have a look at the period have a look at the wind speed have a look at the swell size swell direction actually one thing to mention a mate of mine zane westwood he used to think that you couldn't do a downwinder if there was a north wind and a south swell he thought you couldn't do it, like it wasn't possible. Um, what I've found is it doesn't make it as fun. Like a north, a north swell, yeah. like wind swell with a north wind is best, but a north, a strong enough north wind is going to create a big enough north swell. And if there's a longer period like south ground swell, you can still do it, but you're like you're kind of going over these big long speed bumps oh, that are get wider. You go over them, and there's a bit of like zigging and zagging to do but you can still do you'd have it in southern california i'd assume like a big south swell comes up i i have the perfect example we went to uh the port of long beach which i forgot by what metric it's one of the busiest ports in the world so there's huge uh ships going out to sea and there's a seawall that's facing to the south when a south wall swell comes in it reflects off the seawall so we were going conditions were marginal we were going and then a reflection would come off the seawall and you'd see like 20 bumps in front of you. And like you said, the long period ones are more shaped like this. The shorter period ones are shaped like this mm. and it just sucks all the life out of it. And then you make it past those. And then a big tanker ship goes by cargo ship, whatever you want to call it. And they do the same thing. They just send it right back at you. And it, it's, it makes it impossible. It is the hardest thing in the world. So yeah. Yeah. You're not crazy. That's, I guess <laughs> that's what we're both just going to end it on. You're not crazy. Right. Yeah, no one's crazy. You just, just write it down in your notepad or send a message to Matt or myself and we'll, we'll we'll keep a document of it and try to figure out. Figure it out. We'll figure out what's going on because the, the ocean, it's like, it's got to be the hardest thing to understand. Like, I've paddled a lot, like, in the last 10 years and, you know, done the KV Channel, Molokai to Oahu, and there's all these theories on, you know, there's a big canyon here and the current does this and that. It's and real. It's real. It's it, it happens, real. but it's it's not the same every tide or every no. swell or every wind because there's always something like the degree could be one, it could be one degree different yeah. swell or it could be 
five more knots or it could be you know half a foot bigger or half a foot smaller and that all makes a difference so it's yeah. um it's a tricky thing to to master that's for sure we'll figure it out we'll figure it out yeah um, we've, i've got a bunch of questions that a bunch of people on instagram sort of asked but before i do that i want to i want to mention the wing foil deflate ah, ah. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, first question is can you wing foil yourself have you done it what this guy yeah. uh i tried once i was on the 120 i was on a four meter wing it was not a windy day i almost got on foil i could like you know drag my board for a while so i'll claim if it was windy i could have done it but i mean horseshoes grenades almost counts what, whatever that saying is so no i didn't do it i didn't yeah. do it i don't have any interest in doing it yeah i think wing a ding wing a ding a ling is wing -a -ling. filthy to the uh <laughs> Uh, Careful, there's a lot, of, a lot of winger dingers out there. A lot of wingers out there. It's impressive that you can stash it in a box. How about that? I'll give you that much. So, the reason I so many of my friends home. under review, I want to go downwinding all the time. My buddy Ryan, he's like, No, nah, I'm going to wing a ding. My buddy Dane, he's like, I'm going to wing a ding. Even you got Cole Kawana wing a dinging. They all bailed on me to go wing a ding instead of downwind. Yeah. Yes. It's so to me, the winging is there's there's pros and cons to it. The the pros, it, obviously, if it's windy enough, it's really easy to get going, really easy. For sure. Um, the con is if it's not that windy and you're using too small a wing, it's really hard to get going. So say the wind drops, it's you know you go out to twenty knots, then all of a sudden it drops to five to ten. Good luck getting up with just a wing. Whereas mm. with a paddle on a sup. I can get up in almost no wind because I've got that sort of technique and you can, you can use the bumps. Whereas if the wind drops and you've got this wing, yeah, yeah, right. it it's, doesn't do anything if there's no wind in the sail. So like for sure, I think that the wingading and, and I'm hoping the wingading deflate downwinder is something that becomes something because I, the, the, the free wing downwind is something completely different um, because you, the wing gets in the way, basically. There's no question about it. It's yeah. not as free. They call it free winging, but it's not as free as actual just downwinding is. As soon as you go straight downwind, you've got to do something different with your wing. Hold it above your head. You got to, you know, it's there's a bunch of disadvantages with the wing. But I guess I'm with, biased. With deflating it, you're doing the exact same thing as you would be doing prone, sup, a boogie foil downwinding, whatever it is you're doing, you're downwinding. No, nah, because my, you know, I live in California, so my ears, I'm going to have to get my ears drilled out if I'm going into the wind. Ah. Because it's, it's so helmet. cold here. Mm. No, 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 it doesn't matter. I've known so many people, you know, I guess some people as young as like 30 that have surfed here their whole lives. Our ocean water is so cold. Our air off the ocean water is so cold. When your ear gets wet, it evaporates. It enhances the cooling process and you grow that bone. And like every, so many California surfers get it. So for me, Going with the wind, you know, relative to the wind speed, it's it's pretty casual. I, I don't yeah. really feel my ears hurting. I'm going in the wind, I will be crying. Like seriously, if I spend a day on a boat without earplugs, even if my ears are dry, I will just my ears will be in pain for the rest of the night. So yeah, you need yeah. those surfers ears. The surfer ear, um, Tom Carroll. Doesn't matter. Yeah, 
They're like no, a, we all use them here, and we still get it. Still get it. Wow. We still get it. It's got to move. Just, that's just how it is. Got to move to Australia when the water's warm, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm gonna do it one of these days, mate. Fucking yeah, one day, I reckon. Um. So yeah, that's that's my little plug for the the winger thing, and and I, t- I the, the the other advantage of the wing deflate is that you can go upwind and downwind. Yeah. So you can literally go up, deflate, downwind, and you can do that as many times as you like, and. If you do come unstuck, pump in the backpack means you can get going again. It's and that sucks. Like it, if you come down hard, like as soon as you deflate and you've got to pump your wing up in the middle of the water, that's not fun. And it takes a couple minutes, but it is. I can I can confidently say it will be quicker getting going by pumping your wing up and yeah. getting up with the wing than it would be to to prone paddle in mediocre conditions. Yeah, for sure. From my understanding. Another thing that I've probably I wanted to mention that we've I've failed to Dave Kalama hand paddles. What do you think uh, of the hand paddles plus the flippers? <laughs> I love the idea. I tried them myself. I got the uh, not not as big as his, but the the normal summer ones. Summer ones, yeah. I tried them on my my quattro, and uh, I'm I'm pretty I'm very conservative in all my surfing. Like I said, I'm really scared of getting hurt. Same thing when I paddle my back is already messed up. I'm 26. I don't want to have that much force on my hands and wreck my back. Um, so for me, it's all about the explosiveness and getting up on a bump. So when I'm prone paddling, I'd rather no hand paddles than hand paddles getting up on a bump. Mm-hmm. That was me trying it twice um, in decent conditions. Obviously, you know, if I had somebody showing me how to do it, maybe that I tried it on the knees as well. We'll see. I'm, I'm just saying the way I tried it was like, no, this is stupid. I'm going to ruin my shoulders. And it's easier exploding because you can get more reps with just your hands. Mm-hmm. Boogie yeah. foil, I don't think that would help too much because really it's all on your legs and you're just trying to stay forward. Yeah. Well, I know with Dave, he is using a larger foil and the same board he would suck on. So the advantage of the hand paddles is just that he doesn't have a paddle when he stands up. Yeah. To me, that's, it's a cool challenge, but in terms of making your downwind experience better, I think Mm -hmm. it only makes it better because it's harder to get going. So it's like toe toe surfing versus, you know, paddle surfing on a big day. You're going to get way more waves on when you're towing in, but when you paddle Mm -hmm. in, it's like way more rewarding when you get one big one because it's so hard to get that one big one. So that's how I see the, prone paddling yeah. on a sup with the hand paddle downwinding. Um, it, it's all so new. I, I'm open to any ideas. I think what he's doing is so cool. Yeah. How you're winging, uh, how you're winging up the wave. I think it's <laughs> stupid, but I think it's cool for sure. Uh, and that's same with the boogie you boil. I, I definitely you can get up. It's cool. Yeah. I, I want to try the boogie. I've actually, I used to have this 310, which I think would have been perfect. It's, it's literally like a, it's, it's like a, it's like a bodyboard. It was a rectangle. It was almost a square and like a big square nose. So basically it's like a bodyboard. And I don't know where it is. I've lent it to, it was, I think I lent it back to the shop. So it could be gone forever, but I have to try and track it down and do that. Cause I, I think that would work. So stay tuned. You got it. Um, let's get into questions that um, were sent in from Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. You asked yourself this one, this one. 
<laughs> nah. Totally hard to ask, which is you. Which strap do you put on first? Yeah, right. You know what? Actually, I will level with everybody. I don't even focus on getting my foot in the perfect strap first. I just try to stand up like normal. I, I follow, uh, I, I watch uh, Lord Lenny, Kai Lenny. He, he, is every, he should be everybody's prime surfer. He, when he stands up, he just throws his feet wherever they go. Your front foot's normally just going to get it in the right place. So both your feet almost get in the straps, and then you just wiggle in both of them. So that, that's really what I do most of the time. Um, but if I had to choose like one or the other, it's front foot first, just because you can guide yourself and be riding with that front foot in and then slide your back foot in like that yeah for me front foot's always felt more natural even like dock starting i was always yeah. trying to do front foot first but wow. in reality it's like a like front and back almost at the same time for dock starts but it's that's, about the same time yeah same time yeah. yeah um let's see what else let's go into this is from jason relevant differences between locally generated surface chop and ground swell for foiling as, yeah, as we were talking about the spectrum, um, most buoys describe it as, what is it? The, the variance density spectrum of the amplitude. Um, so basically if you have a wind swell, you're gonna have so many frequencies. Okay, you, you guys know what a histogram is, right? Yeah. Um, like maybe a bell curve, you've heard of a bell curve where it's like this value, say it's the frequency zero, you have like a hundred counts of it, one, 90 counts, you're gonna have a spectrum like that. In a like a local generalized swell, you're gonna have so many frequencies across the board. But if you have, you know, one swell at 20 seconds, your 20 second your count on that is gonna be like way super high. So you're gonna have a narrow spectrum. So yes, answer is you're gonna have a broad spectrum with all sorts of frequencies and amplitudes and directions that the swell is traveling in. Vice the long period swell. Statistically speaking, the swell is moving about the same uh, direction, amplitude, and period. If you really look at a buoy, it's the coolest thing. You can get displacement off of a buoy. Every like half a second, they report the vertical displacement. And you can do what's called fast Fourier transform, which is a theory that you can apply any shape. You can make, you can make any shape out of a summation of waves like the, the cosine waves I showed you guys. Anyway, you get the you get the displacements, you can take the period. So I've seen a couple times when Surfline has said, okay, there's a 20 second period, three feet. Really there's 20 seconds, there's 19 seconds, and there's 21 seconds all present at the same time. And to conclude this remark, a rule of thumb in a locally genera generated swell is say the buoy says it's three feet at like four seconds, like the wind's really local. Um, the max wave in the observation period will be twice the significant wave height. So there will be one six foot wave within that 30 minute period. And it's super cool. Look it up on your own buoy. Um, on the CDIP website for California, you can watch the vertical displacement. And yeah, every 30 minutes, if it says the significant wave height's three feet, you'll have a six feet max wave um, in the observation period. It's so cool. Is that because they like cross over and double up? So you get like a... Or is that just, maybe explain that, or is that just a fun fact? Good question. I mean, it started off as a fun fact. Uh, again, it's just, there's an infinite amount of waves in the ocean. And when the swell is fresh, there's so many frequencies present. And they're determining the significant wave height 
statistically. So they're taking every observation. Oh, wow, this gets complicated. But basically, like, it's not even like they subtract crest and trough. They, they, they count up crossings through the zero line. Mm-hmm. And then they take the top one third of those waves and then they average them. So basically, you know, if you have 10 people that are five feet, six feet, four feet, and you know, any spectrum, the average is not going to represent the max height of the person in the group. And that's what is happening in our buoy observations. There are big waves. Uh, they're just being masked by this average of all of the waves. So that's like the H, I guess, in other words, we have H maps and H sig. And the significant, oh, the max is the maximum and the significant is like the average. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah yep. I think I'm, yeah, I think I get that. <laughs> all right, changing a little bit. This is a pretty cool question from Zane Westwood, mate of mine who I've followed with. He is into his body surfing. Have you ever considered strapping a foil to your wetsuit and body surf foiling it? Like Superman. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the first time I did bodyboard foil, uh, somebody sold me on the, the sticky mounts. I just happen to have one right here. Yeah, these, yeah. Things, these things are trash. Don't fucking buy these things. I'll sell it to you. <laughs> buy this one. No. I put this on a boogie board. I went out. It kind of by the Emma Wood run. And it just dropped right off my bodyboard and sunk to the bottom of the ocean. But I had a leash, so I pulled it up. And as I was coming through the ocean, I held onto um, the mast and the wing. And I did try to go with it, and I felt it for sure. So, again, maybe the, the foil needs to be changed. Maybe there needs to be grab points. You know, there's, like, the, uh, the motorized ones where it pulls you forward. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's possible without a doubt. And I encourage everybody to take their foil and go swim with it. You know, if you're just trying to kill some time and I promise you, you will feel yourself getting pulled. I've done it. I've experienced it. It's pretty intense. It's very dangerous because if your foil stops, it goes in your face, but there's, there's something to be said for sure. Yeah. Maybe some headgear um, is a good idea. Yeah. Lots of headgear. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, all right. This is from Kanye East. What is the main goal for book foil? Big airs or super fast pits? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's up to the rider, I guess. For me, like I said, I'm kind of scared of doing airs now <laughs> after that one. Like I, I, it wasn't even worth it. Getting barreled, I think I'd, I'd be down to try a barrel, honestly. I can chip into a wave and then, you know, pump into the next one and get into book stance. Um, I think I'd try barrel, but it's, it's all stupid. Yeah. It's all dangerous. Don't try it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's a lot of fame. I think, I think, I do think the most gnarly foiling is going to be bug foiling though, for sure. Yeah. You could come out of the pocket easily and hit the biggest air forward land back in the pocket, like nothing. So until somebody picks that up, we'll see. Yeah. I agree. I think like, if you look at what, you know, bodyboarders were doing 20 years ago, Surfers yeah. are only just starting to like Chopu, for example. Bodyboarders were doing that years before. Big airs, bodyboarders are doing that Always. years before. Yeah. So, Always. yeah, I think you're right. All right, there's another one. And then, what design innovations will help boogie foiling? Leg support, maybe from a longer tail? I don't know. I, I feel like what I've been on is pretty good. Um, I kind of do like the longer boards because the, the torque argument we've talked about. 
you know, where it's like if you are more forward and you go really fast, you can over overpower the lift that comes up at you. If, if you know, if you're right over your foil, if you get going really fast or you hit a bump, it's going to kind of tilt you up. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Big square noses. Those have helped me really hold on. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess the question on that, would you, I, you know, bodyboards are soft. Like you can sort of flex them for a boogie mm -hmm. foil. Would you want that board to be soft or would you want it to be stiff? Unfortunately, like just how the, the mounting procedure of, you know, getting a foil to the, the box, I think you have to do it stiff. And, you know, there, the full deck traction pad is kind of becoming a thing now, especially mm. in the foil world. So it's not too bad. I put a big elbow dent in uh, one of my boards, uh -huh. my foil boards. Um, <laughs> so it's a thing, but I've, I've never felt impact. Um, if you are a bodyboarder, you know, it's like a pride thing to land on your chest as hard as you can. As dumb as it sounds, it's like the boogie board thing. Again, it's stupid Aussie. It's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you hit a lip and you get projected completely into the flats and you just land on your belly. You hit your head on the deck of the board. Your hand comes off. Like, they're proud of that. Like, they've broken ribs because it's just what you do as a boogie boarder. It's so <laughs> stupid. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. All right, so head dip. He asks, who is your yeah, dream downwind team? You, baby. What do you mean? <laughs> it, it, you did say, he said, James is obviously number one. So who else? Oh, well, oh, awkward. I meant, I meant H-Dip. I want to do it with H-Dip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's my number one downwind team? It's, it's been really tricky being a, a younger foiler in, in California. A lot of the guys are older, which yeah. you guys talked about with Jacko. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Kel from, you know, Kel Van Sice. Sorry, I, I know your name, Kel. I'm just, your, your middle name is throwing me off. Kelvin Seiss, I think I said it right. He moved away to the East Coast. I was like, I was like, I made friends with him and I was like, sweet, we'll down one. Then he moved away. And then Dane, uh, Dane Wilson, he's like a pro sailor. So he was training for the Olympics. So I lost him, but now he's back. <laughs> and then Cole Kawana is, you know, just south of me. And he comes and goes. I think he's mostly back. So the ideal team now is, yeah, me, Wait, sorry, me, Dane, uh, and Cole. And we send the 100-mile downwinder off the, set, the coast of Southern California, which has world-class downwind conditions. And I invite every single downwind foil in the world to come try, where we have 10 feet at, you know, eight seconds Perfect. often enough. Yeah. yeah. I'm down. When this bloody COVID stuff stops, I'm super keen to come, come and check it out. Yeah. For sure. Um, another question from Head Dip. Are all your clean clothes right now on the side of the road at the start of each downwind run? Uh, he said some about clothes. Yeah, basically, I, I've been taking a lot of Ubers. So I park. Don't ever make excuses that you can't do a downwind. You can do it anything you set your mind to. I park my car. I order an Uber. I go up in my clothing, breathe, bring my wetsuit, change on the side of the road, leave my clothing, do the downwinder, come back for the clothing, go home. Is that what he said? Is that what yeah, I think that was so. You so you so you leave your clothes where you're going to finish. Uh, where I start. Where you start. So you leave. Okay. So yeah. All right. And so that, that's where your car is, no? That's. I leave my car where I finish, and then I come back from. Ah, uh, okay. You're on the other way. I got gotcha. you. I'm with you. I take the Uber. Uber yeah. is like ten bucks. 
So it's sucks, but it's worth it. Like, again, you, you can't make excuses. Like you, I want to download so badly. Um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll spend money. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. $10 for, you know, a 30 minute wave. That's worth it. Yeah. yeah. People would spend more for a wave pool. Yeah. Good point. Um, Boo foil. Ask him to explain what committing is before a session. Oh, yeah, right. Um, I, guess, I think the, the Hawaiians can one-up me on this, but I, I, I pee myself all the time. Like, it was so funny in college. I, or one of our professors had a question, like, on a test, like a funny question, not a real question. Like, who goes to the bathroom the most? And it was me because I, I can't hold my pee. And uh, so basically, when we were in Hawaii, I'd look Cole and my buddy Bryce in the eye, and I was like, "You guys committed." I just pee down my leg like crazy, because <laughs> you know there's no going back. You can't go in the car after you pee yourself. Um, so just right in the parking lot, wetsuit, no wetsuit, just just commit, um, <laughs> send it. Yeah, that's 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 what it is. Boo foil. He knows. Yeah, fully committing. That's that's all the questions I've got. I think that's that's it for now. But um. All right. It's been a pleasure, mate. Actually, pleasure, what I have been doing right. at the end of each, um, I guess, podcast is getting three tips for people looking to downwind foil, whatever discipline you want, three tips mm -hmm. on whatever you want it to be. Just three tips for downwind foiling. Yeah, I guess I'd like more time to think about that, but off the top of my head, you got to want it. Like, seriously, like, I, I can't explain to you how bad I've wanted the downwind foil, how much time I've spent just suffering. You got to want it. That is the most important one. I didn't even have to think about that. Um, the type of bump you're looking for is, uh, like we said, the steep one, but with a downhill right after it. Doesn't matter what craft you're on. That is the easiest mm. way to get up. If you have a steep one and then a downhill after it. And uh, the third tip is you have no idea how... Uh, doable your coastline is until you try and that, that Wainimi run right, right where I live I had no idea that was a thing it's, it was just a shore runner and you know I lived there for like three years before I foiled and it's just every single day it goes 12 to 15 knots and it was right in front of me the whole entire time I didn't even consider it and then one day I was like we'll see what happens so wherever you live just try it see what happens park your car and go for it those are my three tips good ones you can do good. it good three yeah, tips yeah, right Straight off the... Thank you. Got you off guard too. Nice. Well, I think we wrap it up. That was... It was a good chat. Nice to um, get a bit techie. I love all the, the the wave stuff, you know, the the energy. And I think that is something that I haven't really gone through with anyone else is, you know, wormholes and sets yeah. or packets. It's, yeah, it's... Um, it's all documented. It's, it's real stuff. People have been studying this since I think the 1800s um a guy named stokes was studying it in world war ii walter monk he's the godfather of swell forecasting because you know in california we get these swells in the summertime long period swells where do they come from they had no idea swells came from south of the equator um and then going on in the future i think it's all uh nordic people in the north sea uh, norway and stuff like all the books i'm reading now they're leading as far as I can tell, you know, by just by reading these books, they're just killing it. And that's where, uh, I don't know if he was a guest on your show, but where he crossed the- Yeah, Kaffa. Or whatever, and there's yeah, Kaffa Steinfeld. Yeah, yeah, there's all- The windmills. all those windmills. Yeah. It's because they are seriously so ahead of the game 
where they understand how to statistically describe it, how to take the energy, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's been a thing. It's real. There's actually scientists who study this. It's super cool. So everybody can get into it. Look at YouTube, look at a Surfline book. Um, yeah. yeah could, could you, it. could you give us a, maybe, maybe um, you can comment or you can, if you got a list on the top of your head, um, a reading list for people who want to get into it. Cause I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. They're like the most basic one would be from Surfline and it's titled um, like just type in like Surfline, uh, like California forecasting book or something like that. And the first 40 pages or whatever go through the most important information you could ever know about swell and weather. Like if you all, everything you could put into 40 pages, Sean Collins did and did an incredible job on top of that. If you know like a decent amount of math, you don't even really need no calculus. Um, though my favorite book is Waves in Oceanic and Coastal Waters. Um, look that up. You have to buy it. Maybe you could find a PDF. I don't know. And then on YouTube, Google something like Walter Monk, um, Ocean Wave Forecasting. And that's that's probably going to be everybody's favorite. It's like 30 minutes or an hour and like, seriously, I didn't even touch on, like, what is known about ocean waves. Um, even in the progression project where I chatted with Eric, like, just the, the, the trajectories of the water particles, the pressure fluctuations, like, it's ridiculous how much is known, but not known amongst the surf community. So there's information out there. Just start Googling it, YouTubing it. You'll find it. It's pretty interesting. And for the most part, you don't need to know too much math even so anybody yeah. can do it yeah no i'm i'm super grateful that you've come on and, and sort of and that you're part of the foiling community like with your physics knowledge you know that's uh, and oceanography and all that sort of stuff so so thank you on behalf of everyone um i'm sure a lot of people are going to enjoy this chat and um yeah excited to love to get you on again um yeah, if I can hope you have fucking brace skins with me next time. Like, yeah, I'll have to make it. Maybe I'll, I'll be you, over there with you having one. <laughs> are you even from Australia? <laughs> oh, I'm a bad Australian, obviously. It's almost 12 o'clock, so yeah, I could almost on. crack one, but... Yeah, come on. Come on <laughs> All right, thanks. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Okay, yeah, fucking get out, get out of here. Okay, bye. Adios.